0: I'm Sarah Resnick,
1: and I'm LaShawn
0: Moore, and we are the hosts of The Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber.
1: Hello, can you believe we've made it to episode 80? Welcome to The Weave Podcast. Full Circle Wool is a sheep and wool company based in Northern California, specializing in climate beneficial fibers as verified by Fibershed. Full circle wool sources fiber from many different farms that are actively implementing carbon farming practices. These are not just net zero ranches. These are wool growers who are actually mitigating climate change while at the same time growing beautiful fiber for clothing, bedding, art, and all the other uses people have for wool. Their 2019 sample book is out now available at www.fullcirclewool.com with batting, roving, felt, washed locks of interesting color combinations and finished goods such as wool, sponges, and wool bookmarks. You can find them live and in person at the Fibersaid Fashion Gala on September 28th, 2019 in Petaluma, California as well as at the Full Belly Farm Hose Down on October 5th, 2019 in Yolo County, California. You can share in their story on Instagram by following at Star Grazers, S-T-A-R-G-R-A-Z-E-R-S or on Facebook by liking Full Circle Wool. This week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Casey Newman an environmental educator, natural dye cultivator, and co-owner and operator of Cedar Dell Forest Farm, a forest farm that aims to maintain the health and integrity of natural fibers and ecosystems while sustainably raising animals and growing food on the non-forested portion of the property. Hey, Casey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Hello. Thank you.
1: Can you start out by introducing yourself and telling us about your background and how you found your way into the
0: world of textiles and farming? Of course, I have always been a a maker and a doer. Um, and my grandma would sit me down when I was a little kid with an embroidery hoop and let me stab at it with some thread and a needle. Uh, and as I got older, I started um, really enjoying knitting, and through that. Uh, became aware of this world of like naturally dyed fibers and just hand dyed yarn in general, which was really intriguing to me to like create your own colors and not only like make a garment, but be able to really control like everything about it, including the color of it. And I have uh, a master's degree in forest ecology. So my other work that I do is working in environmental education and spending a lot of time outdoors and teaching kids and families to appreciate the world around them. And as I just started to learn more about natural dyes, it just fit with my interest in nature and ecology, um, and has really blended itself to be this really um, lovely way of expressing my appreciation of nature and also creating beautiful things that we can make with our hands.
1: Wow, that's super interesting. And can you talk about Cedar Dell
0: Forest Farm and how that came about? Yeah, we moved to this property just outside of Portland, Oregon, um, almost exactly two years ago now. And we lived in the city of Portland before that, my family and I, for a long time. And I worked for a variety of environmental education nonprofits in the Portland area. Um, and eventually, just kind of got tired of teaching other other people's programs. And I loved being with kids in nature, but was really wanting to have my own space to be able to, in large part, incorporate a more nature-based art and natural textiles with the educational programs I had been doing. And was really lucky that my husband telecommutes, so he um, has worked from a home office for a long time. And so it gave us a lot of flexibility and not being tied to a commute for a job when we were looking to move. And so we found this really beautiful property with a space for a classroom and a natural dye studio and a room for animals, too, and for my kids to play. And we've really just been focusing on—we um, raised some Shetland sheep for their fiber and for their super adorable, friendly personalities— and um, an angora rabbit who just loves to be carried around and snuggled by all the kids who come visit. And then we are next to 70 acres of public land, which gives a lot of room to explore in the forest and um, just appreciate all of this beauty around us.
1: Wow, that sounds awesome. So you you mentioned that you're next to a forest, um, that is about 70 acres. Can you kind of talk about how you forage in the forest for the materials that you use?
0: Yeah, so we um, we have just under four acres of our own land and it's about half forested and then half um, what in a homesteader people call usable land, which just means like more flat and open for growing food or raising animals. So we use some space for Um, gardening and raising our sheep and also we have are just starting to plant a lot of plants specifically for their dying potential um, to be able Mm. to incorporate things that we grow ourselves and then the forest around us is just such a just an abundance of mushrooms and lichens and you know being in the pacific northwest we're pretty rain friendly environment so everything stays pretty green and lush all year um we've been uh, I do in addition to just dyeing solid colors with yarn and fabric I do um, botanical printing which is making prints of the leaves on fabric that just with heat and pressure basically the pigments from the leaves are transferred to the fabric so lots of Forest plants work really well for that, like a lot of wild roses and um, alder trees, which I also use alder cones for dyeing kind of a golden brown color. And ferns mm-hmm. will make lovely images on fabric. Um, and it's fun to be able to teach workshops here and also incorporate, like, gathering some of those plants and leaves from, you know, right outside the door, literally, as part of the workshop. So people can not only learn how how to use the materials, but also how to identify them and what types of places that they grow. Also just incorporating how to be sustainable on that because we don't want to go and just like start pulling off all the lichens from the trees because they're an important part of the ecosystem. So, you know, we mostly gather things that are on the ground instead of just yanking stuff off of trees that are growing and making sure that we're just taking what, what we think we'll use that day versus having a lot of it's always sad to just toss unused things back out into nature, which they'll compost, but, you know, we didn't maybe didn't need to pick so many to begin with. So um, just teaching people to be sustainable and their use of natural resources, too, is really a big part of what we do. Yeah, and I, I read
1: sort of um, in your about section and sort of like your, I guess you could say, farm manifesto that um, you're a forest farm and that you aim to maintain the health and integrity of the natural ecosystem while sustainably raising animals and growing food on the non-forested portion of, of the property. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about what it means to work with a forest ecosystem and what some of those challenges might be if there are any?
0: Yeah, we definitely have constraints here based on just the number of trees and the amount of shade that we have um, on our Mm. property. Uh, You know, large-scale farming is not really what my family and I are super interested in. Um, But even just growing food for our own purposes here is somewhat limited based on um, just sun that we have and trying to balance, you know, space for... um, animals to graze and space for food to grow and um, other plants that we want to be growing for fabric dyeing. Uh, you know and some folks come over and they'll say well if you clear these trees over here if you expand this over there then you get more space and more light and um, we're just we're not really interested in cutting down a bunch of trees so we can grow things so if, um you now we've been here two years, and we've spent a lot of that two years really just getting to know the land and observing what's what happens through the seasonal changes, where the water is, where the sun you know shines in the winter um, so we we didn't want to make a lot of hasty decisions in the beginning about changing mm-hmm. the environment to fit our needs we're more interested in kind of tucking our our interests into these little pockets of space that have. You know that we can kind of carve out in the forest, uh, and also just you know we making sure that the trees and the land around us is healthy. We bought this property from you know an elderly couple who had lived here their whole lives, and uh, mm. there was a lot of um, you know in their last years here, a lot of the the landscape wasn't maintained well. So there's some invasive plants encroaching into the wild spaces that we're trying to. Um, to remove and uh, just doing our best to have a a healthy ecosystem around us so that we can have these wild plants that also provide so much for us, just their, you know, beauty and importance to animals and just the, the wild things that we can gather as well.
1: Interesting. And you mentioned a lot of, uh, a lot of acreage in the public land. So I'm just kind mm-hmm. of curious, does that also include like water or like a lake or anything like that?
0: Um, There is a, there are two creeks that are just um, kind of at the edge of our property and in the public space. One is a little bit of a hike to get to, but the other one is a lot closer to um, our house and is a space that I often take kids to explore and play in when I do um, summer camp programs and uh, programs for homeschoolers throughout the year, and so it's fun to have a little bit of water to go splash around and play in. Um, yeah, but it's um, there's not really any public access to the the 75 acres next to us, which makes it a really quiet and private space where there, you know, there aren't any established trails. So we're following deer trails and kind of making our own paths as we walk through it, um, you know, with some frequency. But it does feel like a pretty wild space, which is kind of neat to have so close to a big metropolitan area.
1: Mm. And what is your surrounding community like in Oregon? Are there other textile makers or collectives in the area that you work with? Um,
0: a lot of artists in the Portland area and a lot of folks interested in natural living and organic gardening. A lot of makers. The part of the metropolitan area that we're in, um, we're kind of on the far eastern side of the Portland metro area and it tends to be a little well we're in a pretty rural spot but in general it tends to be a little more rural um, overall uh, maybe a little lower income of an area and there's just not the same number of resources resources and access to um, arts and nature um, on this side of town as there are on on the other Um, So it's really been um, a really great experience to kind of drop this interesting spot in the middle of this community out here and start inviting people to come and um, share the space with us and explore the forest and see what we're doing and learn how to dye some fiber with natural things. Uh, And it's really, we've really been welcomed by the community. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, a lot of folks who were coming here were, Um, from closer really in Portland people and folks we knew before we moved or um, we're starting to see a shift to more more of the folks who come to workshops or send their kids to programs here are coming from the local community around us which is really um, our goal is to get to know and to meet the people who you know are, are living near us and building a community here. Yeah, that's
1: so cool. I I did see that you all also have, uh, youth programs and summer camps and things like that. So I can only imagine how busy it must be, um, in summers out there.
0: Yeah, it's a busy few weeks of our summer camp programs. Um, I used to run some really large summer camp programs in Portland and, um, you know, managing like eight hundred kids a summer and all of their parents and all the staff that requires is just got to be too much with having kids of my own who were in school, and it was hard to you know not see them all summer long when they were out of school. And so mm. here just balancing the the life and the family and the the work being all in the same space is really challenging sometimes, but also really, Uh, really lovely and so we just do a handful of weeks of summer camp to not you know make ourselves too busy during the summer and then uh, my kids join along with that which has been really uh, really fun my I have an eight-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old and my uh, eight-year-old is just right in the mix of it making new friends and doing all the activities and my 12-year-old is more of my uh, assistant teacher which is been really fun to see her kind of blossom into that role of getting to share her home and her space with younger kids and, um, you know, the challenges and joys that come with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and
1: I also see that you have a lot of really beautiful um, silk eco-printed scarves and it looks like you also have some paper that you've also eco-printed. Can you talk about how you source the materials that you use, how, how you source like the fabrics that you use, the paper that you use, um, and also the types of dyes that you use?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I use mostly silk and wool fabrics in my work because they uh, just tend to take up natural dyes a lot easier than um, cotton fibers do. So mm. there are a lot of natural dyers who work with cotton and I just choose to not do too much of it. Um, it's silk and wool are just so beautiful and it's really because I also teach, um, it's really the easiest fabrics for people to first start because you see really great results without having to fuss with the fabric a lot to get it to, to do what you want. Um, the wool I use, um, I buy from, A woman who uh, sources it and it's wool from Australia and she imports it and it's really just a lovely fiber to work with and silk it's really hard to find silk anywhere from uh, other than China Um, so it does come from there and I buy it from uh, reputable companies who really work to um, bring in really quality products and um, So it's pretty pretty nice fabrics, and all of the leaves I use are things that come, uh, you know, grow locally here. Um, Occasionally, I'll use some florist uh, plants, but I really I really like to showcase the local, um, the local flora in my work, and uh, it's really fun for people who buy. Uh, scarves or other works that have the Oregon leaves that I use and take it to as gifts to their relatives, you know, in other states or even other countries, and like bringing them a little, a little piece of Oregon and a really unique sort of package. Wow, that's so
1: cool. So uh you're using like actual like leaves that are particular to particular areas. So people see them as like some type of a like heirloom.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and I've done, um, uh, you know, sometimes in workshops, people will bring some leaves that are from a tree that's really special to them or, um, you know, their favorite kind of plant and incorporate that into what they're making. And I've done a few custom pieces of, um, of art that incorporate plants from a specific place that's really special to the, the person who um, I was wanting to have that made so it's it's neat to be able to um it's just a different way to interact with nature and to show the beauty and the shapes of all of the the plants that we have around us and then most of the dyes that I use are um are local things as well there are some that I purchase that are just really lovely colors and things that I can't grow or gather here but um you know the things that bring me the most joy are being able to go and like gather the golden rod from my yard and then come inside and simmer it up and come out with this brilliant yellow piece of fabric at the end, which is just um, really satisfying to have the whole process be contained in this space. And it really tells the story of seasons and place and, um, yeah, local color.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. You kind of touched on this earlier when you were talking about how you, how much you enjoy nature and working within like natural environments. Would you say that there was something that particularly drew you into including a fiber aspect to your farming?
0: Uh, Yeah, I, you know, I grew up um, on a property a lot like the one that I live on now, but in California up in the mountains with the creek and trees and my childhood was spent you know up in the tree reading a book or catching little bugs in the creek Uh, and I also was in 4-H as a kid so I did a lot of um, fiber arts and sewing and knitting and cooking and um, I raised sheep and rabbits and so it's kind of a funny full circle thing to end up on a really similar property in a different state with sheep and rabbits and knitting and sewing (laughs) Um, I wouldn't have really imagined that when I was a child Um, but it really I guess it's just these interests that have stuck with me and to be able to um, you know as as an adult be able to see it in this bigger picture um, and how things are fitting together um, you know with the, the larger environment and what I want, you know, my daughters to experience with their childhood and values I want them to have with, you know, knowing where things come from. And so many kids don't um, don't understand the value in things, not because, um, uh, you know, not because there's anything wrong with that, but just because they haven't been exposed to, you know, what it takes to create a garment um, or mm. where colors come from and what the impact of that is on um, you know, all of the steps along the way. And so when kids come here uh, for summer camps or other programs, you know, I'm always incorporating um, not just nature-based art, but uh, kind of this like back to basics, like learning these skills that kids, you know, don't know, because we don't have to cart our own wool to knit our own sweater anymore. We can just go to Old Navy and buy it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. but as I sit with a circle of kids and teach them to card the wool that came from our sheep. And, you know, imagine if this is how you got socks to wear, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, how, how would you treat those socks? And what would you, you know, you probably wouldn't just go run outside there, you know, just in your socks and you probably wouldn't throw them out when they got a hole. If you were having to, you know, do all of this work to get you know, our clothes or to get this beautiful, Um, piece of art for the wall Um, and so and not that I expect that these kids are going to go home and like never wear their socks outside but just (laughs) you know (laughs) Um, but just it's like a a neat thing for them to learn and just to have an awareness of you know someone didn't hand card all the the wool for this wool sweater you might wear but factory or by hands like it You know, it comes from the sheep that they can go pet. Like, how does it get to a sweater that's, like, cozy and comfortable and, you know, purple, perhaps? So just having kids think about that and providing a space where, um, you know, it's not like we only wear our own handmade hand spun items, but you know, in a pinch, like if we had to, we could do that. <laughs> right. And, um, it's good to have a yeah, scale. And just, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it is. And, uh, and it's fun to kind of work your brain in a, a different kind of way. And um, just the the pride that I see, not just in kids, but in adults who come to workshops and are dyeing some fabric for the first time, like that excitement of seeing, something changed color is just it's always pretty magical and then you add the fact that you made this color with like some lichen that blew down from the tree outside and it's just this extra element of just amazement at you know how things come to be
1: that's awesome are you working on any new projects or do you have any future prospects that you would like to share with our listeners
0: uh, well, my well, personal project right now is I just harvested, I grew indigo plants for the first time this year. Um, oh, cool. And what type of indigo plants are they? Um, it's Japanese indigo, so persicaria, tinctoria, and um, I had a woman who I met at an art festival offer to send me seeds, which was a really beautiful gift, and then life got in the way and I didn't plant them and... Felt kind of sad about that. And then the same woman contacted me a little bit later and said, I planted too many seedlings and can't fit them all, do you want them? Um, So I said, of course, so planted those up and they grew really well here and we've had kind of a cool summer. So my eight year old and I just harvested all of the indigo plants earlier this week and put them in a giant tub of water to ferment for a while and starting the process of extracting the blue pigment from them. Which um, yeah, is the first time that I've will have done this process from plant to blue pigment. So we'll see how it all goes, but um, that's kind of an exciting uh, prospect because indigo always seems a little bit foreign. Like um, you know, so many different countries and cultures grow indigo and use indigo, um, but to be able to have it in you know our front yard and hopefully get some blue out of it is really exciting. And then also just gearing up for fall art festivals and um, other events where I get to go and talk to folks and selling my things is nice, but I also just love um, educating people on natural dyes and natural fibers and getting to, you know, debunk some of the myths that people have, like natural dyes are always kind of boring block colors, which is not true, or they're not permanent, which is not also not true if done correctly, and so just it's a fun little bit of education I get to do as well,,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, that's awesome, and super exciting. I know how like um how it feels to sort of like nurse plants and then to like harvest them is like such such a great feeling,
0: <laughs> yeah, and we've had such a cool summer here that like our food plants, our tomatoes are not happy, and the peppers are really. Uh, not doing really well so it's like well i don't have a lot of food growing but my indigo is fantastic so you know like so kind of shows where my priorities are too i'm not not too upset about the the food plants but my dye plants i baby those along a little bit more
1: (laughs) yeah well you know it also like things are so unpredictable you know as a farmer um with the weather and like You know, your plants could catch something or, you know, there's so many things that can happen, especially when you think about the fact that, you know, growing things, you know, to maturity happens over months and so many things can happen over a month. So um,
0: Mm -hmm. I I get it.
1: I fully get it. Yep. (laughs) And um, where can people go on social media and the Internet to follow your work?
0: um cedar dell forest farm it's cedar and then also on facebook really showcases a lot of um work that we do on our our forest farm property here and the educational programs and workshops we do and then the other branch of that is cedar dell designs which is also website and facebook which is more of the fiber arts and natural dyeing projects and um and of that side of, of the business. And pseudodelforestfarm.com and pseudodeldesigns.com both link back to each other. So we're kind of two businesses in one because the, the work I do is so connected to the place that it's hard to separate it out completely. Awesome.
1: So it's been great having you on the podcast. And we ask everyone who comes on the podcast the same question. And that is, do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts?
0: Oh, just to jump in and try something new that, um, you know, I'm one who I tend to want things to turn out beautifully and perfect the first time, which sometimes makes it hard for me to want to start something new. But even like your first project doesn't have to be fantastic or beautiful. And no one has to love it except for you, which you will because your hard work and energy and, you know, love and frustration all went into it. Um, You know, my uh, mother-in-law sent a little table loom up to us that she got for free somewhere several years ago, and it um, sat in the closet for years while my kids were like, can we try that? Can we try it? I was like, well, I don't really know how to weave, and I have all these other things. And, um, you know, when we finally just sat down and finished the other person's half-done thing that was on there. Like, it was so fun. And it's like, why did we wait so long to start this? Like, we don't have to know. We don't have to know everything about it. Um, You know, a lot of most times doing is really the best way to to learn. You know, don't get too hung up in the thinking and the the reading and the watching YouTube tutorials. Just (laughs) get your hands on it and try something new and it'll be beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: And it was so great having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. I love chatting with you. That's a wrap. To view the all natural California grown and climate beneficial fibers of Full Circle Wool, visit www.fullcirclewool.com and order your 2019 sample book. Get 10% off your first purchase using coupon code GISTPROMO. That's G-I-S-T-P-R-O-M-O. For images and links to Casey Newman's work and farm, as well as to access this promo code from Full Circle Wool, you can find links to everything in our show notes at www.gistyarn.com slash episode dash 80 next week on the podcast sarah is talking to mariah gar who is a weaver in missouri and a gist yarn ambassador who's designed a number of the beautiful projects on our blog so stay tuned next week for that fascinating episode and until next time happy weaving